Welcome to Infinity War and Beyond, the podcast where we subject ourselves to every MCU film, one Marvel Studio film a week, until we reach the blatant grab for cash that is Avengers Infinity War. I'm Christoph, and I guess I'm going to be your host for this week. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Billy. How you going, Billy? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, look, I'm doing all right. Um, really? Doing all right. Well, because we're... Because, uh, He's a quick peek behind the curtain, guys. Occasionally, we can't meet every week, so we have to do a couple of these in, in, a, in a row. I've had to see two uh, Marvel Studio films in the in, in sort of two days back-to-back, and it, it, it was a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I watched Iron Man 2 last night. It was, yeah, still not as bad as I thought it was, but still I didn't enjoy it as the other Iron Man films. As, okay, interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I'll look, I'll get to it later, but I certainly, uh, as I think it was in episode zero and possibly episode one as well, I talk, we talked about our top three Marvel films, and Iron Man 2 was in my top three, mm. but uh, things have changed. So I'll talk about yeah. that at, more at the end of the episode when we go through our top threes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I certainly... Um, I wouldn't say this movie was a slog to get to, but it certainly wasn't as fun as I Yes, remember. exactly. I don't know, just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I enjoyed it, but yeah, not as much. I, did... I felt myself cringing more because I forgot about stuff. You know what? I don't... We'll talk about that in context because something recently happened in the media that definitely made me reevaluate a lot of the stuff, some of the, the humour and the way women were treated in this film. Yes. So shall we roll the trailer and then we'll jump into context. Oh, it's good to be back. The notary's here. Front and center. I'm sorry, he's very eccentric. I want one. No. If you can make God bleed, people will cease to believe in him. They will be blood in the water. And the sharks will come. weapon turned over to the United States of America. I am Iron Man. The suit and I are one. Contrary to popular belief, I know exactly what I'm doing. What? What I saw you do to Tony Stark on that track? Wow. You need my resources. I want to make Iron Man look like an antique. This whole lone gunslinger act's unnecessary. You don't have to do this alone. Let's get into it, Billy. We're, of course, talking about Iron Man 2, the sequel to 2008's Iron Man, which kicked off the Marvel Universe and was a, a box office hit. Yes, and Iron Man 2 came out in 2010. Yeah, so two years later, they kind of, I wouldn't say rushed this out, but they sort of, 
it's clear they had a plan with how quickly they brought this out. Mm. Um, I did read something, though, that um, where they shot the films, um, a, a particular studio that they shot the films at, they said they were going to shoot four films. Oh, wow. Which is Iron Man 2, yep. Thor, um, Captain America, and Avengers. Interesting. So I, I feel like maybe after Iron Man and Hulk, that's when they took stock and like, okay, this is how we're going to go forward. Phase one. Or... Interesting. That's a good point about the phases, because I guess I always think of it as a consumer. The phases are an easy way to organise the story. Yeah. But you're right. From a studio, it's a great way to organise how you can do these batch, uh, these batch sort of film shoots, especially yeah. given that in this first phase, pretty much all the stingers are teasers for other films, and they often involve actors or characters from different film franchises. Mm. So it would make sense from a budget perspective that, oh, well, while you're filming Thor, you can grab Tom Hiddleston to do one for, to do a stinger for Captain America or whatever, and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I don't think it was overly rushed out, but it did feel a bit, I personally felt it was a little bit rushed, maybe, given another year or so. Yeah. I don't know, two to three years is a good, I feel like two to three years is a good way in between films. Yeah, yeah, look, I think, because it was pretty much, because of course this came out, in case you haven't already mentioned it, April of 2010, Yeah, and of course the original uh, Iron Man came out in May of 2008, Yeah, so it's like a tight two years. And I feel like maybe they didn't want to have the issues as well of what happened with, um, not that Incredible Hulk was a failure, um, the fact that it came out a few months later. They've yeah. From that. I think they were just testing the waters by saying, let's give... A few, like two years. But they didn't want more than two years. Yeah, and I mean, I guess if we look at the release slate now, it's funny we're saying that it came out so quickly given that we get sort of two to three of these films a year now. They've sort of eased us in, kind of yeah. like when you gradually turn the temperature up on a lobster so it doesn't scream as it gets boiled alive. Pinchy. <laughs> um, oh man, now you, you bring me back to that, that sad Simpsons episode. He tasted so good. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way he would want it to be. Yeah. Um, Alright, so... It let, was... Look, let's return to, to budget and box office quickly before we descend yeah. into um, to Simpsons references. Uh, 200 million is a budget. And from memory, I believe Iron Man 1 was 150, yeah? Yes, yeah, so it was a partial increase. Okay, so only... The... Oh, only 50 mil more. Yeah, though. I think this is what we were talking about, the whole testing the waters by... Let's give you more budget this time around. Yeah, and sort of see what you can do with that budget. And it'll be interesting as we go through these films to kind of track how big, how much bigger the budgets get now they know that these movies will make back. Yeah, I think a lot of that budget, while it did go to the actors, because, um, I mean, there was more actors in this one than the previous films. And a couple of big names, um, yeah. such as Sam Rockwell, who I thoroughly enjoyed. Yes, same. Mickey Mickey Rock, do you reckon he commands a big salary? I mean, he's a name. Well, apparently... When they initially came to him with 250000 he was like, whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Don Cheadle's probably the... And Scarlett Johansson, I would say, the other two big names that yeah. are in this film. Mind you, how big was Skojo uh, before before the Iron Man franchise? I don't know if she signed her long contract with this film or the next film. I, I'm not too sure. I know Nick Fury... Signed on for like a nine-picture deal with this one as well. Interesting, Samuel L. Jackson. Um, so, yeah, not not Nick. 
Fury, Samuel L. Jackson. He has he has a name, Billy. Yes. Um. So this made six hundred and twenty three point nine million dollars at the box office, which is about a, from memory about eighty mil more than the first Iron Man. Made. Yes. So it's it clearly did quite well. Mm. They're making money on that. Yeah. Money, uh, money, money, money. Well, look, I would like <clears> to <throat> sort of talk a little bit more about the film's context now. And usually we talk about when the film came out, but I thought it'd be a little bit more interesting to talk about. Uh, Iron Man 2 in a post-Harvey Weinstein world. Yes. And what I mean by that, of course, is Harvey Weinstein has been brought down, down by some pretty disgusting sexual harassment. Oh, yeah, uh, and I mean... Allegations. Yeah, and a lot of things are not being just frowned upon now in Hollywood. Yeah, for a lot of the... My understanding was that like it was known that Harvey Weinstein was a creep but nothing was done about it and then suddenly he was fired because sort of a critical mass of allegations came out and now a whole bunch of other creepy men are all losing their jobs exactly which has been great but it's interesting watching this film in light of that there's a couple of cringe moments I would say yeah there's there's a bit of humour in this which you know when I was younger and a little bit less aware I probably would have laughed at but not now um any jokes come to mind there is one for me in particular but do you have any that jump into your head uh, just it just seemed very blokey yeah uh did like that dude broy which you know, I wouldn't expect from John Favreau this is a slight this is a slight tangent but I told my um I told my flatmate that I was watching Iron Man 2 and I was like do you want to join me Anyway, he as immediate as soon as I mentioned Iron Man two, he made like a jerk off motion and was yeah. like, "Oh, it's very yeah." And then apologies to the people at home, but he made like a jerk off sound and jerk off motion, and that sort of permeated my entire viewing experience of this film. Because you're of, watching your friend at the same time jerk off. Mm, in the back of my mind, I had him doing the jerk off motion as I was watching this film, okay. and I feel like that's a, a, even though I do enjoy this film, it's a it feels like an apt description. It's a bit of just a it's sort of like. Just a, a blokey bloke sort of doing what a blokey bloke would want to do, and that permeates to the way it treats women, which is not great. Yeah, and I don't think it's more. I don't think it's overly Tony Stark that's the problem that has those jokes in this. You know it's what? It's a mixture of everyone, I think. I definitely think it's a script, for yeah. sure. Um, th- so there's a couple of jokes I was going to bring up. Uh, the first is when we first meet Black Widow uh, in this film, and. We'll talk a little bit more about Black Widow in this film in pickups. Mm. Um, but she is, of course, undercover as Natalie Rushman, a girl from the legal department of Stark Industries. Uh, Tony Stark is clearly perving on her, and Pepper Potts says, uh, be careful, she's a lawsuit, a sexual harassment lawsuit waiting to happen. And yeah. that, you know, like that sort of joking off a sexual harassment lawsuit, again, it's in the post one scene world, did not land well with me. I don't know, it almost feels slight slut-shaming a bit. I don't know if... That, uh, Maybe not that much, but the whole... Like, because that's kind of like Pepper criticising in, oh, what she looks like. You know what? how she dresses. I think that's a valid read. I guess the way I talk... I'm not one. I can't... Like, I can't judge that. I don't... I feel like... some. I, I could ask that of some of my female friends if they think that's slut-shaming a bit. I kind of think it might be. Interesting. No, I... My read was different, but I'm not saying yours isn't valid. No, no. My, my read was a sort of the fact that 
you, it could almost the idea of Tony Stark committing sexual harassment is almost a joke that you could joke off, and the character could still be redeemable afterwards. The implication yeah. being that men can treat women like shit and still be good guys, which is a lot of the defense that uh, people are using against sexual harassment is, oh, but he's a good guy. So yeah. again, to me, that really didn't feel right. Um, the joke that stood out for me was um, it was when they're at Monaco. And Justin Hammer is being interviewed by um, this reporter from Vogue, I think. Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair. And it's the reporter from... The first film, the who first Tony Stark sleeps with. She's an investigative reporter mm. um, who Tony sleeps with. And Tony, and she provides Tony the photos of what's happening in... Kind of, in, like, in what is clearly Afghanistan, but not referred to as Afghanistan. Yeah, it was it Galmira or... Gal- G- yeah, Galmira. Galmira, yeah. Um, and, but now she works for Vanity Fair, and it's obvious, like, she, she's been stuck with this assignment of Justin Hammer, which I find hilarious throughout the entire film that everyone hates Justin Hammer. He's a, he's a great he's a dick. Sleaze. He's like a real estate agent, almost. Nothing against real estate agents. Um... I used to work for some. So, anyway, um, back to it. He, like, she, and then she sees Pepper, and that, by this stage, Pepper's been announced as CEO, and she's like, great, I would want, and she even mentions it, I would love to get an interview with you and a, a quote, a quote yeah. for, you know, our women in power issue or something, which is great. But then, you know, they make sort of innuendo jokes about, you know, uh, yeah, she t- she gave Tony a big spread for his magazine. Yes, that, I was actually going to mention that. Is that Justin Hammer mentioned that she's doing a spread on him for the magazine, and then Pepper says, "Oh, she did a spread on Tony last year." Yeah, and then Tony says, "And she also wrote a report." Which is weird, but I guess like maybe because I mean the film is set six months later. Is maybe it? yeah, it's meant to be set six months. Oh, later. okay. Maybe. That's weird, a weird joke saying, oh, last year. Oh, well, like, I can't remember the specific timeline. Yeah. But she, you know, the joke, of course, being that they've had sex. And I kind of... It's funny that in the first... Not so much in this film, but in the first film, that character actually plays a significant role in the plot. Yeah. So it pisses me off that they keep bringing up the fact that she had sex with someone. Like, it's something bad against her. Yeah, and I it, feel it felt like, pretty slut shamey. Yeah, I feel like she could have been... Um, I don't know, maybe... It was underused. Like I get, I get that they used her as comedy relief, but maybe like have her as a investigative reporter. Like, why couldn't she be feeding some of the information that that Tony gets on Vanco later? Or yeah, who, course, sorry, also, Ivan Vanco, who is Whiplash. Yeah, later. and also, um, I mean, John Favreau didn't direct the third film, but I wonder if now, if he did direct the third film, she would have been used as a joke in that film. Yeah, I, it. It's interesting, this film definitely has been tarnished given that we've just fortunately become more aware of the importance of the, of the way women are treated and sort of aware of some of the, you know, like slut shaming's become a real thing and people are calling people out on it and of course the sexual harassment stuff have come out. So it's really, yeah. uh, it really tarnishes this film and really shows that this film, uh, I guess... For better or worse, was a product of its time. Yeah. And it got away with what it got away with at the time. And I remember no one really having, at least in the circles I moved in, no one really having any issue with Yeah, with but the, that's, like, that's not, like a, a, not a good bad, or a bad film. But I mean, if you can make a film and the humour in it... Holds up. Yeah. Mm. Like, if you do political jokes, they won't stand up like of 10, course. 20 years later. Unless you're, you were around that time. Yeah, and it, it still resonates. And same with this, the jokes just don't resonate because... 
now they're just cringeworthy. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, in terms of the film's reception, we'll pivot a little bit. Um, no, it, it did okay. Critics didn't mind it. But I know that just anecdotally, a lot of people don't like this film. Yeah, look, I from what I read, every, and like myself included, it felt like, you know, Iron Man 1... Well, not Iron Man 1. Iron Man was fresh and fun and everything. Funky and fresh. Ju- yes, funky fresh, super automatic. <laughs> I don't know the rest of the lyrics. That's... Um, but it just felt like this was a weird letdown. Interesting. What was a letdown about it for you? It just didn't feel as fun. And I think... Okay. Like, I, I like the new thing. I like Don Cheadle because I enjoy him better than Terrence Howard. Yes. Oh, so, as we mentioned in the first Iron Man episode, uh, Terrence Howard plays... Uh, Rhodey. James, yeah, James Rhodes or Rhodey in the first film, and the second one he's been replaced by Don Cheadle. I agree. I think Cheadle's a better, a better Rhodey than um, mm. than the previous actor whose name I've already forgotten. Terrence Howard. Sorry, then Terrence Howard. There yes. we go. Um, you know, because I find it more fun than Iron Man One. Iron Man One comes across as more serious, and Tony's more playful in this. I mean, he's literally DJing in the Iron Man suit at one point. How is that not fun? What do you want? What do you want out of a film, Billy? See, that film... Like, I get, like, it's meant to be Demon in the Bottle Light, but it did feel a bit... I don't know, cringeworthy? Even that? Yeah, look, admittedly, it's pretty awkward when he's when he's DJing what and, like, shooting, melon, shooting melons and is clearly drunk. Yeah. Look, I mean, I did enjoy... I did enjoy it for the most part, but I don't know. I enjoyed Iron Man more. Okay. Well, look, I think at this point, we've covered most of the context, so I think it's about time we went to pickups. Yes. What do you reckon? Alright, so look, so now we're going to go into pickups, and because he opened the film, I figure I'll start off with my pickup about Mickey Rourke as Whiplash. Yes. Uh, the too long didn't read of this is that he is... Shit. Yeah, he's rubbish. Um, I, he can't do a Russian portrayal. It feels you know very like Moose and Squirrel. He's, a, he's just a shit actor, and that stood out to me, right? Sort of. Too many... He was good in The Wrestler. I haven't seen The Wrestler, yeah. but it, going on this film alone, I struggled with his acting. I think yeah. two minutes in, his, uh, uh, Whiplash's father, Anton, dies. Yes. And he screams, and it's so bad. He's like screaming out in pain, but it feels like so forced and... <laughs> it's um, not good. Funny that you mentioned his dad. Um, the character... I mean, it's portrayed by an old man in this film. Yes. But the character was in... A, um, Agent, Agent Carter. Really? Anton, um... Yeah, because, um, as we know, his father... In the, in the, in the, uh, movie, it's mentioned his father worked... He defected from Russia to America to work for Tony Stark. And then he got sent back to Russia when they found that he was selling secrets. Well, I think his father wanted to, um, wanted to make money off science. And then, so, they deported him. The classic... The classic conundrum: to make money or not to make money off science. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, he's in. Um, Is it the same actor or not? No, different okay. actor. Like he's young, like in his thirties, whatever. When he's in um, Agent Carter, and I think they go to him, like in the first series, when people are stealing Tony Stark's um, inventions and stuff. Okay, you mean Tony Stark's father? Yeah, Tony Stark's father, Howard Stark. Um, interesting. There you go. I haven't actually seen all of Agent Carter, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't notice that connection. Um, yeah, look, he didn't feel like Russian at all. 
You know, I think in terms of like postcard portrayals, the Russians get it pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, he's in this film, but I mean in movies in general. Because uh, in this film, he like doesn't speak much. He sort of speaks in one word with a thick accent mm. in broken English. Plus, there's other times he has like fluent English, and then other times he's like <laughs> he doesn't. It just depends what the script needs. And I think less than like two minutes after meeting the character, he's swigging a bottle of vodka. So it's not amazing. It's not a particularly in-depth portrayal of the uh, Russian people. And his parrot is... No, not parrot. Is it a parrot? He's bad. No, it's not a parrot, Billy. It's a fucking cockatoo. Oh, yeah, fucking cockatoo. But he's cockatoo. Russian and he's got an Australian bird. Yeah, his cockatoo is drinking vodka as well. And I'd like to point out, I, I find it funny how this film sort of tries to play up like this is some exotic bird... But it's, as an Australian, it's a fucking cockatoo. They're everywhere and they're pests. Yeah, they are. They are pests. And they live for a very long time. They do. They can live up to 50 years. And did you know that they can pick locks? I did not know that. Yeah, they can, like a combination lock. They can listen to it and learn to pick it. That's right. You're listening to Infinity War and Beyond, the show where we talk about cockatoo facts. (laughs) Cock. Thank you, Billy, for just... Just taking us back down to the base level of humour. Yes. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, the character... So... What is it with... The, just while we're on the, the cockatoo thing, what is it with villains, like, being, like, terrible people, but also, like, having a lot of affection for a weird pet? Because this yeah. is an ongoing trope. Yeah, like Barbosa with the monkey. Captain Barbosa, that's a, that's a good example. Um... After saying that there's plenty of examples, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. But I know Jack, I've seen it before. Jack and the monkey from Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, now you're just now you're just talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, and this is not a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast. Not yet. Not yet. Look, who knows where the who knows where the beyond Are could they take us? by Disney? <laughs> oh no! Are we, uh, are we seriously considering doing all the fucking Pirates of the Caribbean movies? No, we're not. <sighs> oh, um, thank goodness. Um, yeah. So from what I read um, and what I noticed. This whiplash, um, it's based on two different villains. So it's based on um, Whiplash, who's in the comics. Yes. Originally, he was an inventor who worked for Stark, but he wanted to make money and stuff. Um, and he basically like created these cybernetic whips, and like it was very like sixties, eighties style. And he worked for like the mafias and enforcer and assassin. But then it also is very. It's also taking part of um, another um, villain of Iron Man's, which is the Crimson Dynamo, who is like a Russian Russian. Iron Man, essentially. Yeah, but I like that all they've taken from the Crimson Dynamo is the fact he's Russian. Russian. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then also in the comics, um, they made a character based on Anton Bunko, this particular. Interesting. I know this is probably like the worst place to uh, to pick up an Iron Man uh, film reference, but I'm pretty sure in the new Squirrel Girl comic they fight Whiplash, and he's like, yeah. and he's very more in line with the film version, and is right, and they make a big deal of the fact that he's Russian. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No. Look, Mickey Rourke was. I think the only time I liked Mickey Rourke in this role was when he wasn't saying anything. Yeah. He felt like a reject Razor Ramon from WWE. <laughs> you know who he reminded me of. Is it Danny Trujo who plays Machete? Yes. He he's sort of like that sort of like tough. Machete is better. Of course. I mean, do you think Danny Trujo would have been a better pick for Whiplash? Assuming they hadn't made him Russian. Yeah, possibly. 
because to me, Mickey Rourke as Whiplash was best when he was sort of staring down the camera and he just looked like this big, scary dude. But as soon as he opened his mouth or did any real acting, it just sort of ruined the illusion. And it just sort of came off as goofy. Yeah. Well, look, I don't know how much longer we can shit on Mickey Rourke. So do, we, do you want to um, do we want to go to one of your pickups, Billy? Sure. Um, I was going to talk about the other sort of villain for this um, uh, movie, Justin Hammer. Yeah, played wonderfully by Sam Rockwell. Yes, he, Sam Rockwell is amazing. I, yes, I am not worthy for Sam Rockwell. Um, it's interesting. I feel this is an opposite situation to 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 Whiplash in the sense that um, a is character that... that could feel like a, another version of Tony Stark, Sam Rockwell really makes it his own, and it... it's like an inept Tony Stark. <laughs> you, that's a great way of putting it. He had all. The, he has like he's more of a showman, but he has all the ego. But he's just clearly nowhere near as capable. No, it's not at all. Um, and he has like not evil, but I would say he's morally he's morally corrupt. Yeah, he kind of will do what it takes to be on top. He doesn't really have any morals. Um, the so in the like in the comic books, I mean, he was a businessman and he was like the the. The main competitor of Stark yeah, Enterprises? Yeah, Hammer Industries. Main competitor of Stark Industries. But he also, he was very much like... Um, he would always have, like, villains on his payroll, and Whiplash was kind of one of them. Interesting. So they and kind he was of... An, oh, yeah, yeah, and he was an older man as well. Like, so he they, would have been sort of like... Tony Stark's father's age type thing. Okay, so they've kind of carried on, like, the villains on the payroll thing, because, of course, he... um. Mm-hmm. He rescues Whiplash from prison and tries to make him work for him to create his own Iron Man armor. The so I guess that carries on that sort of idea. Yeah, the one thing that I thought was interesting is that, like, you know, at the end of the film, Justin Hammer gets arrested. But in the, like, in the comics for a long time, Justin Hammer would get away with it, and it was mainly just the villains that would get arrested type thing. Interesting. I do, would you like him to come back? I think the ship might have sailed because he'd do better in an Iron Man movie than an Avengers film, but I'd love it if they brought the character back. I mean, the mo- most of the time with these comic book films, the villain is in that one particular film. Yeah, I know. I sp- hardly see the villain again. Especially because for a lot of these villains, they get high-profile actors. A great example is um, Hugo Weaving as Red Skull in Captain, in Captain America. That is and the- they're not going to get him, and they're clearly not going to get him back. Well, see, that's the one villain I wouldn't have minded coming back for Captain America. But we'll discuss that more mm. in our um, following episode. Yeah, but uh, quite often, yeah, they get big name, really, you know, big name actors. But they only sort of you're right. They do the villain for like the one film, and then they they ping off. Um, but yeah, it's, oh, Sam Rockwell brought such a charisma to this role. I wanted to like him, even though he was like also like the biggest dick. Yes, he brought his dancing moves as well, which he's famous for. Oh, the the like the awkward dancing on stage at Stark Expo. Near the yeah, end. that was like, great. Yeah, if you if just Google Sam Rockwell dancing, it's amazing. Um, he he is amazing. Something else I really liked about uh, the character of Justin Hammer was that this film showed us a side of Tony Stark's world we didn't see in the first film, really, which was, apart from Obadiah Stane, but was sort of the business world. Sure, we saw Stark Industries, but we didn't see the bigger, sort of high-flying business circle he moved in, whereas yeah. in this film we did. And that's shown a lot. More, I mean, it's shown in the comics at uh, various extent. Like, I mean, he is a businessman as well. 
Of course. I liked that this film uh, sort of expanded on that, and this reminded me there was a fucking awkward Elon Musk cameo. Oh, my God, I forgot about <laughs> like, the cameo. Yes. <laughs> like, what the fuck is Elon Musk in this film? He adds nothing. Yeah, but he's another tech person. We've got an idea for a jetpack. Yeah, we'll make it work. Or it's like a rocket ship or something. I... Yeah. Yeah, but Elon Musk is like... It's clear that he's very smart because he doesn't feel very comfortable. He doesn't seem very comfortable around people. No, no. He's a nerd. Mm. Um, Anything else you want to add about Justin Hammer? I'm kind of glad he's not going to be in another film. Really? Oh, no, not Justin Hammer, sorry. I was thinking about Mickey Rourke. Are you still on Mickey Rourke? Yeah. (laughs) No, look, I mean, uh, yeah, look, I love love his portrayal. He was in... um, The main thing I know him from is Hitchhiker's Guide. They fought Peter Brock's in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and he Mm. plays that, like, like, dumb, sort of... Uh, out there lunatic really well because mm. Justin Hammer has sort of that element in him he's not dumb but compared to compared to Tony Stark he, he is and he's unwilling to admit the fact that he's outmatched yeah I mean he does he does get another um, stint in the Marvel Universe but it's in really? a it's in a one shot but we'll talk about, yeah we'll talk about that in <laughs> Iron Man 3 alright well do you mind if we move on to the next yes uh, pick up who do you want to talk about? Um, I know you had a lot to say on this, so I'm going to... I believe you have a different opinion to me on this one, but yes. I'm going to say Black Widow is rubbish in this film, and her only purpose pretty much is to look at her butt or her boobs. I mean, a lot of yeah. the shots will follow her butt, and yeah, which, which is pretty look, shit. I agree and disagree with you. I agree that that... Like, I remember watching it and thinking like back before I watched it this time around that... Like, it was, she was kind of cool, the whole secret agent thing, and that I wouldn't mind seeing a S.H.I.E.L.D. film with her in it. Okay. But then, yeah, re-watching it, um, like, there were some cut scenes um, where, sorry, there were some deleted scenes with her where, like, she's wearing, I think, an Iron Man gauntlet and sort of, like, shooting, like, the bit with the party scene. Oh, and she's shooting people with yeah. the Iron Man gauntlet. Yeah. That's good. That would be cool. Like, I would like that. It, it felt almost like they were... I get that she was trying to, um, as her role, trying to monitor Stark, but it felt almost like they were trying to hint at a romance, but not. Um, I, look, I mean, once the shoe dropped that she was actually the Black Widow, that's when she got better, I feel. I would disagree. Um, but I don't think it's a character thing. I think it's a... Direct. She's going to... Yeah, I think it was a yeah. directorial thing. Because even after she becomes Black Widow, um, when they're driving to the Justin Hammer's facility to confront um, uh, Whiplash, um, she, like, changes in the back of the car. We see her in lingerie. And yeah, also, that and was a bit... Also, with l- less than 30 seconds after being introduced to the character initially, Tony Stark looks her up online and finds pictures of her, like, modelling in lingerie. So to me, at that point, it made it very clear that what this character was about, and it was eye candy for the, the horny the boys, secretary type. The yeah, trying to make even though like we knew that she's. But that's the thing: if you know the comics, you know she's not, and it's all a facade. But for people that don't know the comics, don't know that. But I think I guess my concern, like you could tell, like as a comic book person, knowing that she's Black Widow, you know those photos that are posted up online about her modeling everything. Are fake. 
Yes. Like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's fair. Her cover is like fake. Uh, like her cover as the bumbling secretary sort of thing. Is to like keep her around Stark because Stark's a horny boy. Yeah, like I feel like that her cover was really good. But it's still a bit... I will agree with you that it holds up within the world of the movie. But As no. someone seeing it and aware of the fourth wall, it I don't know where the direction came from, but it was clear that it was deliberate, trying mm. to bring an eye candy for the boys. And it, again, as we talked about before, contributed to Iron Man 2 feeling like an all-boys adventure, you know, like jerk-off thing. Yeah. And I genuinely... Like, I do wonder what it would be like to watch this film as a woman. Mm. Because, like, as a dude aware of this stuff, I was uncomfortable. So I can only assume as a woman, you'd be like, really? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, her fighting scenes and whatnot, I didn't mind in most part. Um, the wig she had on, or the wig and hair they gave her for her fight scenes. I don't know, it was like a weird... And like it went, like she weird... went from straight hair to getting oh uh, the curl yeah, yeah yeah what is it when you get curls is it oh, like, like a perm yeah it was like a really shit perm <laughs> like it was a dollar store <laughs> really shit thing. yeah the hair looked weird to me because why when you're going in a combat situation why the hell would you have your hair out and nicely curled I mean she, yeah well there's, uh, I mean she has long hair in the comics okay I'm just gonna focus on the curls then my yeah. wife has curly hair she gets shitty if I like oh, accidentally my... brush it. When my she's curled, has curls and like she hates it. It gets mm. frizzy. So I can't imagine her like freaking uh, taking out ten dudes and the hair being okay. Mm. It wouldn't. It would be a frizzy mess. Some of the fight scenes for her were cut out um, because they weren't filmed correctly. Because um, obviously it wasn't always her doing the fight scenes. Yeah, it would have been... Johansson. It was. Do you reckon? Just a side note. Do you reckon that might be why they have the wig, so it's easier to make the stunt double look like her because it's such a distinctive hairstyle? Yeah, well, listen, the stunt double like is caught in one of the films in, in one of the shots, and you can see it like it's clearly not Scarlett Johansson. Um, so they cut part of like where she grabs someone around the neck with her legs and spins them around onto the floor. Mm. Um. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like we saw the 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 gauntlets, the electric gauntlets starting out. Yeah, that was cool. cool. Her venom, her venom bite. I think it's called. I think. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, something venom bite or whatever. Just uh, something I wanted to bring up uh, in terms of her fighting is maybe you didn't pick this up. Maybe I was just reading too much into it. But her fighting style was awfully sexy. Like a lot of flailing oh, yeah, legs yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like very, like, like mounting a dude to take him out. I just feel like there's a more efficient way of doing that without flailing your bits and bobs around. Yeah, I don't know. I just <laughs> again not not uh, not Scarlett Johansson's fault. Clearly, it was the the uh, the act, the fighting scene direction. Yeah, like I hate to say it, but it was kind of like she was meant to be the TNA of the film. Of course. Which, it's shit and goes towards what we've discussed. It's a dude bro film. Yeah. Um, Alright, do you want to hit us with another? Yeah, another I want to talk up? about um, the Terrence Howard slash Don Cheadle. As Rhodey. Yeah, so... so do you want to explain what the yeah, switch Yeah, so Terrence Howard was not... Um, so apparently Marvel didn't want him back for the sequel because... Um, initially with the first one, John Favreau had issues working with him on set and a lot of his scenes had to be cut or reshot. Really? Um, also original from what I've read, like nothing's been confirmed by Marvel side or John Favreau or anything. I mean, Terrence Howard has been complaining for years about it. 
you just have to Google it and you'll find him bitching about it non-stop. Like, I think there was a... Someone asked him a question for the show, what, Watch What Happens Live, which is a really great show. Um, but he mentioned how... It's been mentioned that, like, he got hired first for Iron Man mm-hmm. and he got given a really big amount. Oh, before money they, yeah, about. before they realised how much they were going to spend everywhere. And then, so he got paid more than everyone, all the other cast. And, you know, he's not really a... Not, uh, a, he's not a, a big draw, especially when you've got... Um, he's like a third the, level... Who played Obadiah Stane? Jeff Bridges. I mean, he's yeah. a big draw. Yeah. As, as was as is Gwyneth Paltrow. Why is Terrence Howard getting the biggest budget? Yeah, and he's not even like... Like, if you rank the level of co-stars, he's like third level. Do you reckon? Do well, you, in well, the Gwyneth, first film... Oh, I mean, this. Well, who's who's above him in terms of co-star? Obviously, Pepper, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. yeah. Who else? Um, Happy. Oh, like Happy uh, and him are on a similar level. I just, you know what? I think Happy's more in like the background shots, or or like Happy will say like something short, but in terms of like longer conversations, okay, well, progression, I think I think Road is more important. But you're you're right. Yeah. Paltrow's bigger, and so apparently they cut his money down and offered him uh, here. This is what you're going to get for the second film, and. Yeah, so they didn't like that, and then everything broke down. Then John, Don Cheadle was approached, um, and he took it. And there's a line in the film when, like, Rhodey's arriving. For the first time in the film. First time in the film. And Tony's like, oh, I didn't realise you were going to be here. And it's like, and Don Cheadle says, like, to some effect, um, I'm here, it's me, let's get on with this. Uh, I, I like that. You know, it's funny that whenever they sort of change a, a big, a biggish actor in like in the film, that they have to, they kind of, they obviously can't break fourth wall in the film and address it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they do have to address it to the audience. So you always get this awkward like, I, I'm trying to think. There's one in um, in Sense Eight where they changed over one of the actors, and in the second season, he says something like, "Oh, I've got a new haircut," or yeah. or "I've lost weight," or something like that, which is kind of like a wink. We couldn't get the same actor back. Sorry, exactly. audience. Yeah, and I no, I like that line. It was great, and I che- I prefer Cheadle. You know what? I think I agree. Ter- when I watched rewatched Iron Man One, Terrence Howard rewarmed me, but I can't imagine Terrence Howard's version of Rhodey becoming War Machine. He yeah, Terrence Howard seems very um, passive, and I no, think- and also very main actory as opposed to interesting. Yeah, whereas Don Cheadle can very much, from what everything I've seen him in. He can mould himself into a role, which is great. Which is what you need for, I guess, a co-star. That's a great point. I think he's he's very good at figuring out like who he is in terms of the film and facilitating sort of when it's his time to shine, he shines, and when it's other people, he elevates them to greater heights. Yeah, and he seems like a more fun roadie oh. as well. Like roadie in the comics is meant to be like fun and serious as well. Well, and I think you forget that you know, like he's meant to be Tony Stark's best friend, so clearly the man can have fun. Mm. Um, what's one of your pickups? All oh, right, look. Um, so this this is going to be my last pickup, mm-hmm. uh, and it's I, li- I actually really liked how busy this film is. Okay, and by busy I mean you kind of feel like Tony's being attacked on all sides. So you've got uh, the plot about the core in the magnetic core inside him, 
how um palladium palladium oh palladium. the science made no sense in this film um but anyway how the palladium is slowly poisoning him and making his blood toxic so mm-hmm. he's got to be aware of that he's got vanco coming after him he's got uh justin hammer working with vanco he's got the company stuff and having to put pepper Potts in charge of the company um and of course there's also sort of the uh nick fury as well wanting him for avengers uh, so there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that you sort of see him very badly juggling juggling these balls. But there's sort of one thread that brings them all together, which is the main enemy villain in this film that in all these plot lines, to an extent, he's trying to overcome, which is his big-ass ego, which has only gotten bigger since yeah, the first film. I was going to mention that. His ego is huge. Like, like it grows almost every movie. Slash of course. Every victory, right? Yeah, but he still seems to be... Li- but he still is sort of learning each film to be less arrogant. Do you re- you know what? I feel like he doesn't learn how to he doesn't learn how to not be arrogant as much as he just learns to temper his arrogance enough to find yeah. a solution to the current problem and yes. then it just grows and again. get along with people. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Did you think they were trying too much in this film? No, I think they did a lot. I mean, there were like subtle things placed, like um, we mentioned this was set. Simultaneously with the Incredible Hulk and I look, I don't know if we mentioned it blatantly, but we'll talk yeah. about that next. Is in terms of the timeline in the MCU, yeah. but yeah, so it takes place the same time as the Incredible Hulk and Thor. Is that correct? Yeah. And so like they're trying to do various things. Like it was a busy film, but it still like didn't lose focus. Um, that there were, I mean, there was only some parts. Like I felt like I wish they could have focused a bit more on Whiplash, like. But I mm. guess you could only work with as much as you can with Mickey Rourke. <laughs> He's terrible acting. Yeah, um, you're, you're right. There's not a whole bunch to his character except that he wants to destroy Tony Stark. Yeah. And and I guess the other thing I, I would bring up is the fact that the Palladium storyline doesn't really, never really feels like a real threat on his life. It's just something in the background and then he sort of deals with it before it becomes too much of an issue. Yeah, everything so, got wrapped up in a nice, neat little bow. Oh, of course. Which felt like... Like, I mean, everyone says that about certain films or superhero films. Like, but this felt, like, too wrapped up too quickly. Almost like a... Was it Russell T. Davis, Doctor Who? Was he the first series? Was was he the first Doctor Who, I think? I'm going to be honest, Billy. No idea. I'm not a big Doctor Who guy. I mean, some of the, like, the revamped Doctor Who episodes, everything was like, oh, yeah, like, major threat, oh, done, five minutes type thing. It did feel like... Like... Whiplash didn't seem like that much of a threat by the end of it. Like, in the final, like, fight scene. In the, uh, yeah, because in the final fight scene, when they take Whiplash down, I couldn't remember what happened. So I was expecting the... Because, I mean, in all... all Pretty much all the Marvel... Um, at least this first wave, anyway, Marvel films, in the final sort of boss fight, for lack of a better word, there's usually a fake-out mm. when they think they've defeated the bad guy and they haven't, like in Iron Man 1... Which, there was in this, but it was more like he's committed suicide. And yeah, so out. in here the fake out wasn't that I thought he was going to get back up, but it wasn't that. It was the reveal that himself and all the drones were rigged with bombs. So basically mm. they were going to destroy uh, Tony Stark's um, Expo. Stark Expo. Which, uh, of course, this film is all about... It's pretty... The theme is not at all subtle, but it's all about legacy. Yeah. Because Tony Stark think he's, thinks he's going to die from the palladium poisoning him, so he's very concerned with legacy... And that's what Whiplash is trying to attack. But at this point in the film, Tony Stark's realised that he's... Well, that he's not going to die because he's cured himself. But also that his legacy is more about the relationships he has with people rather than the physical 
infrastructure that he leaves behind. Exactly. All right. Well, do you want to do you want to finish us up on the last sort of pickup, which relates to the timeline that this film takes place in? Yeah. So as we mentioned, it's um, set at the same time as the Incredible Hulk and um, Thor. Thor. Now, at the end of the film, um, when sort of Iron Man's being debriefed by Nick, Nick Fury, Fury, yeah, you can see like a map on the on the screens nearby, and on that map it shows like events happening around the world and like it even shows footage of a news thing at a university and that's happening at the same time as Hulk that's when the interesting yeah and then there's also like an indicator on Wakanda oh really oh, in Af- there's an indicator on Africa but I don't think it says actually Wakanda but, but we also, can assume it's probably Wakanda yeah and there's also like an indicator for New Mexico where Thor is based interesting um, I would like to it's, it's interesting to me that Incredible Hulk takes place at the same time as Iron Man 2, given it was released a month after Iron Man 1. Yeah. And Iron Man 2 came out pretty much two years after Incredible Hulk. But it does explain... Because uh, I noticed that... in the some scene at the end of The Incredible Hulk. Yes, where Tony Stark uh, tells General Ross about the he's, Avengers. Yeah, and like that's thing he's gone as a consultant. But the whole reasoning for that consultancy is so... Um, Nick Fury's bosses which are the, um, I think... They're leaders of various nations, is that correct? Yeah, like, I, it's... Again, we'll probably touch... The council, I think they're called, of some kind. Um, but they want the abomination. So, um... Elon Bronsky, Blonsky. Elon Blonsky. Played wonderfully by Tim Roth. Yeah, on the Avengers team. But, like, Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. don't want that. And so they... I wonder of, why. Yeah, and so they send, like, unbeknownst to Tony Stark. He's the consultant... And he talks to, at the end of the Hulk film, General, to Ross. General Ross. To piss Ross off so he won't give them the abomination. Is that exactly, correct? yeah. Intra- when do you find was... this out? Because it's not really blatantly no, said in the film. So all of the films, when they get released on home media, they have like a... Well, most of them, in recent times, have got like a one-shot film, which is like five, ten minutes. Do the more recent ones have it? I thought they stopped doing them at a certain point. I, I can't remember. I haven't okay. checked. I haven't. That's the thing. I've bought them all, but I haven't rewatched them on home media. So this shame is on you, Billy. Hey, whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah. So I did like how the the whole everything's merging together. But as a viewer, I was a little bit confused because about midway through Iron Man Two, Tony Stark meets with Nick Fury, and Tony Stark says to him that I don't want to join your superhero boy band, referring yeah. to the Avengers. And then, of course. In real world time, two years earlier, everyone's seen the Hulk, well not everyone, but people have seen the Hulk film where Tony Stark comes in is spooking the Avengers. So yeah. that, now you've explained the timeline to me, it makes sense. But, but at, to everyone else. Yeah, at the time of watching the film, I was fairly jarred. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was my last pickup. Well, alright, well, let's get into what we do every week now as the, at the end of pickups, which is of course Stan Watch. Yes. Um, where we talk about the Stanley cameo and the after credit sequence. So, did you pick up where Stanley was in this? It was yes. pretty quick. So, it was set in New Mexico. Wait, no, no, sorry. You're going to no. get mixed up with Thor. Thor. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Stanley was... Um, Can you remember? Yeah, no, no. It was when Tony Stark was leaving the, the Stark, Stark Expo. Yep. Um, and I can't remember who he was. was Larry it? King. He gets. Larry he's King. dressed like Larry King, so red shirt, suspenders, yeah, Larry King glasses. costume. Mm. And um, Tony Stark mistakes him as Larry King. Yeah. So in the f- in the previous film, Tony Stark mistake uh, mistook him for Hugh Hefner. Hefner. 
I, I like that these uh, these movies are, are uh, sort of playing off the fact that most old white men kind of all look the same. You can just dress them up in the same costumes and they can just all pass as one another. Exactly. And Stan Lee sort of has a generic old man face. Yes, he does. <laughs> all right, let's get into post-credit scene. Um, which, what did you think of this post-credit scene? Do you want to run us through what happens? Oh, no, you run you us through. Yeah. Have you forgotten what happens? Is that... No, that's not it. I, I don't trust your face at all. No, you're okay. Post. All right. So what happens is um, Col- Agent Colson goes to New Mexico, where he stares at the crater where Hulk's hammer has fallen into. Hulk's hammer. Oh God. Thor's. Fuck ham- you, Billy. You are setting me up to fail. Yeah. Thor's hammer. Thor's uh, hammer has landed. Um. Now. Which sets up the next film. Yes. Now, something I want to bring up is in the next film we're going to review uh, or talk about Thor. Um, we get pretty much the same scene as this uh, after credit sequence. But I'm trying to remember, in this after credit sequence where Coulson arrives at the Hammer, are people gathered around? I think there is. Okay, because that's what, of course, happens in the Thor film. There's like all these rednecks trying to pick up the Hammer. Mm. Um, what did you think of this teaser? Because I have a few thoughts. No, I, I liked it. Um, I mean... I mean, we know that like, the general premise of Thor in the comics was that he was banished to Earth. Yes. Um, and you know he has to be worthy to pick up the hammer. Um, I think it the way it landed in this one was part of a, a storyline that was going on in the comics at the time, where um, it did feel like very much like a sort of Excalibur ish. Interesting. Ah, uh, like you have to be all these worthy people. to lift it. Interesting. Um. I find it interesting how in these first phase of films, a lot of the time, the teaser at the end is setting up the immediate next film to Mm. come. Yeah, and then they started the trend of doing two after credits. So, like, there was post-credit, which was... Post-credit, I think, is next film. End credits is something to do with this film. I think... I can't remember which one they started. I think... Can you remember Avengers which... is the first one. Interesting. Because, yeah, at this stage, they're just doing the one right at the very end of the credits. And yeah. it genuinely... Genuinely... Uh, genuinely... Generally... God, got it third time. Generally setting up the immediate sort of next film. Mm. So this one is immediately setting up Thor. Almost to the point where it feels like they're still not quite sure... Like, they're still trying to keep the marketing buzz alive and keep these movies going at all because it almost feels like an ad yeah and Thor wasn't released until like a year later yeah Thor was a 2011 alright so now we're going to go into a segment we called uh, if you liked this read this mm-hmm. which is where we uh, recommend you the listener comics based on the film they might be uh, specific comics that the film storyline was based off or they could just be comics that sort of capture the general feel and tone of the film sometimes there'll be a Marvel comics with the character featured and sometimes there'll be other comics that again just sort of have as, uh, the same sort of appeal as the film do you want to kick us off Billy? yeah so I one of my Iron Man comics that I or Iron Man stories that I think would be best is Demon and a Ball and that, I think, came out in 1979? Yes. And that was, correct me if I'm mistaken, but that's about uh, Tony Stark battling with alcoholism. Yes. Uh, which, for obvious reasons, given it's a family-friendly film, they didn't directly deal with in this film. But a lot well, of it the... wasn't Disney back, Disney back when Iron Man 2 came out. Wasn't it? No, it still wasn't Disney-owned yet. When did Disney buy... Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was after. When did Disney buy Marvel? I remember, it might have been 2013. Okay. So soon after. 
Interesting. Mm. Um, because I know some of like the, I guess some of the even the bottles are dressed particularly in the party scene when he's in the Iron Man armor DJing. Mm. Um, so yeah, I guess they sort of touch on some of those alcoholism elements without directly dealing with alcoholism because it is a a, a family ish film. Yeah. Uh, any other Iron Man stories you want to recommend? Um, Deadly Solutions, which has got Iron Man and Black Widow in it, and it's by Kurt Busiek. Okay. I know that he's uh, written quite a lot of the quite a lot of the legendary. Is it specifically Iron Man or just Marvel stuff? Uh, no, he's done he's done DC stuff as well. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so the one I'm going to quickly recommend is not a not an Iron Man story. It's called Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from Wildstorm uh, Publishing, which I believe were in oh, were they an imprint of DC? Or uh, were they... Yes and no. It changed. Like sometimes it were, like they are now, but they. They weren't, and then they were. It's, yeah, it's okay, weird. and you know what? It might even be rebranded under Vertigo at this point, but it shouldn't be hard to find because it's written by um, Brian K. Vaughan with art by Tony Harris, and it's yeah, like I said before, Ex Machina, and it's about a a uh, like a sort of technology powered superhero called the Great Machine who retires from being a superhero and runs to become mayor of New York. So it kind of has some of the superhero and political elements that we saw in this film. Because uh, right near the beginning, he's um, brought up against the U.S. Security Council to sort of answer for his actions as Iron Man. Yeah. So it captures some of that drama. So if you like those sort of political elements and how Tony Stark is sort of trying to balance the fact that he's got this super powerful weapon uh, with the fact that the U.S. government wants it, then I think you'll you'll really enjoy X Men. I really enjoyed X Men. It's a good. You know what? I would say that with a lot of Brian K. Vaughan books, he doesn't necessarily stick the landing, but the journey to that to the end is so damn good that mm. I would, yeah, it's high recommend. What's right. the other book that you were going to recommend? Well, I was just going to do Ex Machina this week. I was going to, I was going to recommend an Iron Man run, but I've realised that that would actually be better to recommend when we touch on Iron Man three. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep that one in the chamber. Yeah, no, I thought that as well. There was a another Iron Man series. Easy. Well, we'll have to we'll have to say that for our Iron Man three. Look, before we go, uh, like I teased before at the beginning of the episode, since watching rewatching Iron Man two, my uh, top three have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, Billy, do you want to kick us off first? What are your top three, and have they changed since we started this podcast? Uh, they have not changed, and it is Civil War. Yep. So Captain America: Civil War in the top spot. Yep. Uh, Thor: Ragnarok. Yep. In number and two, Avengers. Interesting. Interesting and as well that they're all fairly recent except for Avengers. Yeah, and my bottom film is still The Incredible Hulk. Still, Yeah, look, I'm, I'm with you on that one. My bottom is still Incredible Hulk. It's unlikely that's... I'll be very surprised if that changes. Iron Man 2 hasn't moved where it was near the bottom of the pile. Okay. Um, I'm not going to... I figure maybe at the end, the week before the episode of, of the... Of Infinity War. The, the episode possibly in Infinity War or before Infinity War. When we War, put we'll this whole ordeal to bed, finally. We'll do our entire list. That would Yeah, so we'll rank all the films. Because that's what people want. That's what the internet's missing, right? Yes. More lists. But... Um, Iron Man 2 may move up or down, depending on some of the other films that are in the bottom of the pile. Interesting. Alright, well, I'll hit you with my top three. Number one, Captain America Winter Soldier. Which, it did. what uh, number is that for you, roughly? That is number four. No, oh, so just off the top three. Yeah, but it's top five. Such a good film. Um, 
Coming in at number two was Iron Man 2, and that's been knocked off, which means that Guardians of the Galaxy moves up from the number three spot to the number two spot. So where has Iron Man 2 been knocked to? Oh, that's a good question. I'd say it's still in the top ten. Yeah. Probably, I'd say, I'd say a light six or seven. Okay. But I'll I'll have to actually sit down and, and figure it out properly. But yeah, I think no, no higher up than a six. And in number three spot... Uh, is Captain America Civil War. Okay. So, look, I really like the Captain America films. So now I've got two in the top three. Now Iron Man is off. Well, look, uh, I guess with that in mind, we should probably wrap up the episode. Yes. Um, you can get us on Facebook Geekavoz or yes. Um And of course, you can find us to infinity and beyond on iTunes. We'd love it if you could rate or subscribe. Um, and leave a review. It helps people find the show. Um, and finally, we're also on Bushaka. Is that correct? Bushaka. Sorry, Wushaka as well. Wushaka. So you can, you can find us there as well. Well, thank you so much for listening. As always, I'm Christoph. I'm Billy. All right, and we'll see you next time. Bye.